Hello and welcome to part one of this trilogy of chats with Mark DeVito. Um, welcome to the podcast as usual. I'm not going to do all the usual yiddy yaddy and all the rest of it because if you're listening to these three Christmas episodes then you must be pretty much balls deep <laughs> into talking bollocks or bollocks deep if you will. So you know who I am, you know what the score is and... Um, so Mark and I met through, he approached me um, through Instagram, I think, um, to say, look, you know, I used I, I used to do um, all Motorhead's merchandise. I did the last few album covers, um, uh, you know, basically it'd be cool to come on the podcast and, and come on the motorcast and, and talk about Motorhead. So we did. And it was really, really cool. And we, we just, we hit it off. We really did hit it off. And, um, uh, I mean, if you haven't listened to that, um, that episode, please, you know, do listen to it. And you probably want to listen to it. If you haven't already already listened to it, you probably want to listen to it after listening to these chats with Mark now. Um, and I'll put a link in this episode so you can go to the Motorcast episode in question and have a listen. Anyway, um... Yeah, we got we got pretty sort of uh, deep and meaningful on the old um, uh, uh, on the old uh, interview, and um, we yeah we we be, be built up a bit of a um, um well a rapport a friendship I may even say and and it was and it's been great it's been really cool um, and just ch- chatting offline. Um, Mark explained that he was, you know, he's from the Bay Area. He was uh, around and about at the time of, um, uh, you know, everything kicking off with Thrash. Um, he's worked with Metallica as well as well as Motorhead as regards sort of merch designs and things like that. So I thought, right, okay, well, why don't we talk about all that then? So what is coming up now is part one of three parts. Um, we start at, there's, you know, there's a bit of Metallica, there's a lot of the Bay Area and, and we kind of swim in and out of those, um, of those subjects. It's all round metal chat from a guy who was right there. Um, and may I say an integral part of the scene, um, with a number of bands, friends with everybody from Andy Anderson to, to Rick Hunolt to, um, Jason Newstead to Lars, just, you know, and and a really engaging uh, chap, and I've really enjoyed these conversations. We're going to stay in touch, um, but it's been great doing these conversations, and then having a little bit of time to think about, you know, maybe what we missed, and then going coming back and having another chat. And um, anyway, that's what they are. They are purely uh, Mark and I having a conversation, getting to the bottom of all of the bits and pieces he's done with Metallica, and you know, his involvement in the Bay Area scene from the year dot. So here is part one, part two and part three, funnily enough, will follow later, but not breaking with with tradition. Part one starts it all off. And also um, not breaking with tradition. This is me uh, suddenly remembering to tell you that you can watch these interviews. All three are on uh, are on YouTube. Not yet. I'm going to drop them one by one. But as soon as the podcast goes live, you can go over to the Talking Bollocks uh, YouTube channel and you can watch our chat um, on Zoom 
uh, well, we had a chat on Zoom and obviously the recording of it is on uh, YouTube. So you can have a watch of that if you want or just listen to the podcast as normal coming up now. Um, so, hello, Mark. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you too, Howard. Actually, uh, I, that's the first time I've seen you. I, I, yeah, uh, I know. I was going to say. face yeah. to face, so uh, to speak. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and thanks for, um, thanks for your suggestion as regards uh, Metallica, because... Obviously, okay. you know, it's perfectly timed with with the Black Album and everything. Um, and this almost feels like the start of a Motocast interview. But how did you begin? <laughs> how did you how did you end up working with Metallica? Because obviously you were, you know, you, you were in the biz at that point. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I'll make this uh, swift as far as uh, the understanding is. I mean, the beginning of growing up in the Bay Area was kind of like. I mean, I've had plenty of time to kind of contemplate this whole thing. I mean, there's this certain history and, and this mis, mis, mystique that kind of surrounds the Bay Area is this epicenter yeah. of thrash music. And so many great bands have come out of the Bay Area over the years. I mean, back in the 60s, you had Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, a lot of the hippie rock and roll bands. Uh, yeah. but a, a huge explosion kind of an epicenter of musical creativity and and just as every generation kind of feels like when you when you're coming up and you know you're you're t- your beginning of your teens oh i've missed the great eras of of music you know you yeah. just because you can't yeah. forecast you just see the tail end of things so our generation was like you know, there's a lot of crime in the Bay Area. There's, uh, you know, the, the, the economy was in kind of a, a wreck pretty much all over. But um, and we're just growing up kids kind of like, OK, well, what about us? What, where's our music scene? And we were on the tail end of the, you know, the 70s, uh, kind of these dinosaur stadium rock bands of Aerosmith. And we had these things called Day on the Greens that Bill Graham used to do. Yes, which well, were, yeah, because of yeah. course Metallica ended up playing one famously. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, when we when I was in my teens, there was really no local scene per se. There was bubblings of like, you know, people that used to play in Quicksilver Messenger Service or Jefferson Airplane. And you had uh, like Ronnie Montrose lived in the Bay Area as well as Sammy Hagar. So there was these seeds of 70s rock super bands. And anyway, yeah. so but as a kid, you're growing up. I don't want to listen to that. I want to hear some. So punk came along yeah, and course. that kept caught everyone's ears. Yeah. Um, especially the younger crowd. And we started, you know, there were kids that were forming their bands and such like that. Um, but then there were kids that were like the rock scene and they wanted something a little heavier. Uh, and then that was the evolution essentially of like the burgeoning of a scene, just the very small seeds. So you had bands like, and the, these are all kids that I went to high school with or junior high with. Like Alexis, uh, I mean Alex Skolnick from Testament, which yep. they used to be called Legacy. Yeah, and there was half of the half of the kids were taking lessons from Joe Satriani, who used to have he used to teach lessons out of the back of a used uh, uh, instrument store uh, right around the corner from my uh, junior high, and 
Alex uh, Skolnick, who I was a classmate of mine, he was taking, and I wanted to play guitar. So he's like, oh, you should go, you know, you had to audition to be a student. Yeah. Um, and at the time, you know, I drew a lot, but it was mostly on the backs of jackets or, you know, on, on the back of my school folder. Um, but uh, so I went to audition for him and I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to take lessons. So I noodled about and played like, I don't know, Stairway to Heaven and some other, you know, thing I trotted through. And uh, after about 10 minutes, he just kind of looked at me and said, do you have other hobbies? And I <laughs> said, well, yeah, I like to draw. And he goes, yeah, I'd stick with that. And that was the end. I mean, that wow. was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be in that, you know, Parthenon of, of, of great rock guitarists coming out of the Bay Area. So I just kind of gave up on that. But I started drawing. I took it seriously and almost like a grudge drawing. So, uh, <laughs> and that was my introduction into essentially as, as my friends were playing in bands, I was coming up and kind of got told, well, you're not going to be playing in our bands, but we do need a flyer. Yeah. Hey, yeah, we do yeah. need a logo. Yeah, and guys, I was like, yeah, guys yeah. like guys like you were I'm I'm because as you're saying this, I'm recognizing this. Um uh, you know, with 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 my experience, all those, you know, a few years behind you guys, um yeah. a, a few years later, and like my best friend at school who drew the cover of Moschenstein and drew the cover of yeah. the fear, and um and our, our our guitarist's brother, who was also a roadie. Who oh. uh, who did other drawings for us and stuff and leaflet design and but we Brilliant. we weren't really in a scene so we we yeah. didn't need the poster and the and the leaflet design but we we still had those like demos that needed you know covers doing yeah. and so people but Some also sort of graphics yeah but also I remember um, I had um, uh, our guitarist uh, uh, brother Stilly he, um, he he was he was a jacket painter. And, yeah, and, yeah. and like, I mean, you guys were in steep demand, you know, it's like if I can get some of these like breakthrough bands logos, you know, yeah. on, on my jacket. I remember like Voivod, Descendants, Trouble, oh, yeah. you know, and it's like it was like these are badges of honor. And if they can, if these can get painted on, I am like, you know, I'm good. So you must yeah. have been in you must have been in big demand. Well, at first, I mean, I'll, I'll take one step back is that you know, as, as a teenager growing up and you're coming into a, like a large, you know, a large high school, there was maybe a handful of us who liked that kind of harder edge music. So my pool of, of like trying to get the attention of other people was fairly small. And I get at, at this time, this is like 1982. So the scene was just starting, but um, essentially my, I found like a calling card, like you're saying a badge of honor. I would walk into school and I had spent like the weekend drawing like an elaborate, you know, motorhead skull or, or a, a, a swan song, uh, Led Zeppelin, whatever it was. And, you know, I, I'd go down to the, there was a, uh, an army surplus, a military surplus clothing store. So yeah. you could get a, an army shirt, which was just a perfect canvas uh, yeah. similar to the idea of the Venice beach crew who would draw these elaborate skulls with the flipped up, uh, 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 ball caps and all that on the back of that. This was that our version. 
and I would show up at school and he'd get like, oh, where'd you get that? Oh, did you do one for me? And, and I, I, it turned it into a small business where yeah. I felt, you know, not like a bootlegger per se, but I was like, what's your favorite band? Oh, I'll draw that. And then it became painting yeah. and I painted on the back of jacket. So yeah, that's that, it. That exactly like you were saying, you do get a little bit of credibility you get a little bit of like oh oh wow this guy can draw can you draw this can you draw this can you do this for us we need a backdrop um and that was essentially the start was uh this band legacy when my friend alex skolnick was in and uh another friend of mine who was his manager said oh mark can do flyers for you and then you know from there it just kind of can we could do a backdrop and I said, yeah, I guess I can. I, I, if I can paint this small, I can paint that big. At least I thought at the time. So, I mean, <laughs> and I, I think we talked about this in the motorcast where it's yeah, just like, that's right. to say no is just like uh, too frightening. So he yeah, accepted yeah. everything and learned on the way. Fake it till you make it. Well, I was, I was laughing there because when you were saying about like, you know, being asked all those years ago, if you could draw a backdrop and straight away, it reminded me of you saying, of you being asked to to draw um, a design for Mickey D's drum kit? Oh yeah, yeah, and just saying, yeah, yeah, no problem, you know, and, yeah. then, <laughs> and then actually having to do it. Exactly, um, yeah. I mean, and that's what this was. I mean, essentially, it was like, well, I've seen, you know, I've gone to a couple of Day on the Greens, and I've seen those large stage scrims that they've done. So my my head is like, I think I could do that. It's just how do you figure it out? I wound up getting a black bed sheet, throw it down on my mom's living room floor, pulling all the all the um, uh, furniture to the side. And I start painting. They wanted this huge silver pentagram, you know, silver sparkly paint so yeah. that when the light hits it, it would illuminate. Uh, and, and then the rest was just acrylic paint. So I I did this very elaborate logo with a big goat skull and and this and this eight foot pentagram on and uh and unfortunately, the the silver paint soaked right through the fabric into oh. my mom's hardwood living room floor. Oh, so my, the band comes. Alex is like, we're, we're pulling. We pull up the. We didn't know this at the time, but it had dried. We left it on the on the floor, dried it, and as we pulled it up, both Alex and I are picking it up, and it's like, uh oh, there. I think it's stuck, and we're pulling this up, Shit. and. The, the banner's fine, but now I'm stuck with this eight foot tall you know, pentagram on my mom's living room floor. And I'm, uh, you know, yeah, that's, I, exactly, I'm tor- that's exactly yeah, where, that's exactly where a pentagram's supposed to be though, isn't it? Exactly. And you've got so it, so I, you get to summon the devil. Yeah, and, and that's like, my mom was out shopping, <laughs> comes home, sees yeah. me on my all fours, scrubbing an eight foot pentagram out of her living room floor. Yeah. You know, the, the groceries plop on the, you know, drop right to the floor and a scream like, what are you doing when I'm not in the house? Really? Mom, no, there's a backdrop. I, I don't see a backdrop. You know, anyway, it was <laughs> the, and, and, and that, that it, and that moment kind of defines my whole career as far as working for bands. It's like I've fallen ass over tea kettle into these situations that I've got myself, you know, into. I, I, I've accepted the job. I, I'll figure a way around it. Yeah. You know, I may break a few eggs by baking this cake. And, you know, I, you know, I finally got all the stuff out of my mom's floor. But anyway, so th- those kind of things happen. Like I, I worked for Laws Rocket. They wanted a banner. But the big thing that day was that, that people liked airbrush artists. 
Well, I've yeah. never picked up an airbrush in my life. And just like I've done tattooing before as well. So I've learned these different mediums, but you can't just fake your way into that, especially with a tattoo. It's like, I want a portrait of my mother. And then yeah. at the end of it, it's like, well, how fond are you of, you, of your family pet? Because yeah. that might that might translate closer to that. <laughs> and, and we'll work on your mom on the other arm. Um, so I, I paint these backdrops and like I'm using red for flames and the red turns to pink when it dries. And, Shit, and I'm right. and yeah, so I made this like this heavy metal bands going over to Europe for the first time with the pink flame backdrop and they're like nah this ain't working sorry mark you know and i, I was like uh, i'll get it right the next time so anyway you suffer through these things so long story short you know as i'm coming up working with these bands who are suffering through my trials and tribulations to get them graphics yeah i find a couple bands uh you know i start doing logos for t-shirts and 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 the name starts getting around and then metallica come up from la and they're playing in the club scenes and they, you know they're here and there but they're very accessible and just like all the other bands that are opening for them at this time some of them are headlining over them and then that quickly flips as metallica yeah. starts their trajectory uh i you know i'm at parties with my friends and they are in bands and they introduce me to metallica these guys are just up from la and and, and so i go and see them and you know and and, and my top of my head goes way off you could just tell when you're you're sitting there growing up watching all your friends in these bands and 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 other other bands that are touring they're coming up and they're trying to get this sound they're trying to get the crowd appeal they're working on a shtick they've got song structures and all this yeah they're, they're, in, de they're in development and my, exactly. and my and my guess is metallica arrived fully formed it they they are at the top of their game and it is yeah. so palpable you walk in i mean you just it's 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 i mean the only thing i can attribute it to it because i've never experienced anything like that before but it must have been what like some fan that walked into the cavern club in the 60s and stumbled upon this band the beatles who happened to be playing at a lunchtime gig yeah. or the first time hendrix got up on a stage yeah i mean it it and not to sound corny it sounded like like you were watching perfection it just i mean they yes. had it nailed so yeah yeah i know I know, I, was, but I know i know what you mean though because when you like you know even now you know when you when you hear when you hear a band or when you yeah. see a band and everything works yeah all of yeah. the pieces fit and it seems natural nothing's yeah. forced sounds great you know still to this day that's the thing that still makes me take a step back because you go, yeah, well, yeah, like these guys. I mean, I I am not a fan of Amon Amath by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, right. I was only, I was only there to see Testament, who was supporting because I because I know Gene, oh, and cool. uh, and um and I watched Amon Amath for a little bit before Gene grabbed me, yeah. but um and I, I was just I was just like, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't even I don't even like <laughs> you like yeah. like like it, but but you can appreciate. It. I, but it's unfuckable with. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's like it's it's like you know, I could yeah. be stood in that crowd and turn to somebody and go, yeah, it's not all that, is it? And they go, shut the fuck up, and you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been in that situation as well. Yeah, you you go. It's like oh, I'm going to suffer through this to see this, and then you're like, "Holy cow! I have a whole new appreciation." I may not go out and buy the record, but I can certainly say, "Yeah, I'm not going to shit talk about this band anymore because, goddammit, it, they're really good. I mean, they've got something good." So Metallica yeah. are like that, and and you're just anyway. Uh, and I said, you know, at, at a time when all these bands are not necessarily pulling for worldwide pole position but they're really vying for the attention of the bay area thrashing um and there was this very overlying uh like a dogtown and z boys kind of feel like locals only but you know not well very welcoming to anybody else that wanted to come in and join and be part of that scene or or were yeah. playing that type of music there was a welcoming uh but it was also very protective and 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 there were like stalwarts of that kind of culture like Paul Bailoff I'm sure you've heard stories can, can I can I intrude here then because yeah, yeah. I, I, I I've the question I have because it's only just occurred to me because you're, you're you know I, I, you know you're, you're absolutely right and because you were there at the time you, you started me thinking they were coming from LA well we all know why they came from LA Right. And that was and that was Cliff. So so was Cliff their kind of was, Cliff was their pass as in like, right, if this isn't an L.A. band who are turning up on our doorstep, if it was four guys from L.A. rocking up, it would be like, yeah. well, well, yeah, you're just going to have to fucking earn some stripes for a minute, no matter how good you may be. But given yeah. they had Cliff in in the band, that was like, a, OK, that's a that's ballsy. Yes. And at the time, and you're and you're very right. There, there, there was a strange balance. And again, this is only my perspective. I was growing up in the area, and friends that I have known my whole life growing up, you know, uh, they have their perspectives as well. And we all talk about it from time to time. And some of us talk about it from time to time. But uh, at the very beginning of it, it was an LA band. And this is when it was Dave Mustaine and Ron McGovney, Larson, ah, right, and James. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So at yeah. the time, and they had started coming up and they had played the old Waldorf. And this is at a time, too, where our local, you know, uh, torch bearers or whatever of the scene were Laws Rocket and Exodus. These guys were Laws Rocket just had their in with all the clubs. So they would they were the local guys that were headlining and we'll have other people. So anyway, Metallica would come up at this small, uh, you know, the, the, the original lineups would come up from L.A. And they would be introduced underneath somebody else that everybody was coming to see. So there was this soft sell. It was like, yeah, they're an L.A. band, but the music was talking to people like, yeah, there's an L.A. band. So. Sure, we had our hackles up for a little bit. And it's interesting that you say about that, about getting that kind of almost that street cred by getting Cliff. At the time, the music did the talking. And it was yeah. like, these yeah. guys are coming up. They're an L.A. band, but they get it. Yeah. Similar to Slayer. Slayer came up. They were Orange County, Southern California. And they showed up with eye makeup. <laughs> and yeah. as heavy as they were, Paul Bailoff, you know, they did a, a show with them. Paul told them, it, if you don't take off that makeup, 
there will be blood in in uh, in the pit. I mean, the the Bay Area fans don't take kindly. You don't need it, trust me. And that very night, that very next night, night that they played, there was no eye makeup, and they were instantly like embraced. So Metallica, the music did the talking. No makeup or anything like that. But they came up, and uh, and people recognized it. And then there was, they saw Cliff. And they wanted, they knew that they had to up their game. And this guy was phenomenal. El, uh, Cliff was in uh, Trauma, this yeah. local band Trauma. So there was, and, 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 and there were these small pockets of people that recognized that Cliff was this one guy. And, and also on the same spectrum, you had Kirk Hammett, who had started Exodus with Tom Hunter. He's a local guy. So they got Cliff. And Cliff's demand was, I'm not in LA. I don't want to have anything to do with LA. You want to be with yeah. us? You come up, you come, you come up here if you want me in your band. So they had done that. And, and on not on a musical level, but on a, a local level, this this band had moved up from LA. They took a house in El Cerrito, which is just up the street from my old house. So they got introduced socially. So in that, that Bay Area scene, there was, you know, obviously the musical prowess, but also there was this party prowess that these guys had. <laughs> and everybody, you know, they became really tight friends with this small group of people. Uh, so that credibility was just like, you're, you're no, you know, not like anybody said, you're no longer can call yourself an L.A. band. And, and they did. They kind of shed that. Uh, they came in. Um, and then when they got Kirk, because Dave Mustaine became untenable and they were on their way to, to record Kill Em All and all this, there was a small bit of time that very few people talk about, but there was this, you've poached one of the, our, I mean, Exodus, if you ask anybody that growing up in the Bay Area, Exodus were the kings. Yeah. Exodus were our flagship band, they, bar none. Metallica was great on on all levels. Everybody recognized that fact. But there became this almost this local, uh, you know, who's going to headline? Who's going to, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and it was quite obvious that Metallica were getting on this trajectory. But Exodus as well for locals, us, we were almost rooting for Exodus. And then when, you know, it, 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 and when I say rooting, I, 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 I know take that very tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, because there was this this little bit of this, you know, this kind of one-upmanship going on at the time. I mean, re- people were really vying for that crown. And Exodus, every Exodus show was just hands down, just solid, great. And people were just like, oh, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. Right on that trajectory, they, they get Kirk. So there's this pullout and there's a little bit of instability in the local scene. And a little bit of concern, are they going to stay a local band? I mean, these guys were on this trajectory, but now they've hobbled, so to speak, our, our, our local favorites. And then Gary Holt and, and, and all the, and, and, and the band starts, the Exodus starts kind of securing their foundations and they, and they, they but it, it was perceived as a wobble. They yeah. really hobbled them um, for a short period of time, but every, then everybody got on, on board with everybody kind of yeah. like, let's let's get these guys together but anyway so um long way around uh 
I had been introduced to the band at, at parties in Metallica at parties and slowly but surely, you know, Hey, I've, I, I, I painted a backdrop for, you know, legacy or laws rocket. You start building this tiny little, you know, crayon drip drawn uh, resume of, you yeah. know, Hey, I, I've done this for these guys. Oh, I heard about that. You know, how's your mom's floor? And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I became the, it was kind of like, I was a butt of jokes and I, I was okay with that. Cause yeah, it was, it was funny, but it was like, yeah, well, I'm trying to do better. I learned the second, you know, uh, uh, so I would uh, constantly approach them with like, Hey, I drew this. Hey, I want to do this. Oh, we've got a guy that does, you know, backdrops, you know, in silver, but it, it doesn't stick to the floor and it, it came out really nice. So I would pursue them, pursue them. Um, and then they just, they took off and they were just, yeah. uh, you know, seemingly out of, out of reach, still very in touch with a lot of the locals, but I, I was, I was a friend of the band, but not necessarily a close associate. So when they would come and play the local shows, and this is after Master of Puppets, and then they got into the Injustice for All and uh, and things like that, that I would I would go to the shows and I would see friends that were going backstage. So I would like, oh, could you bring this back? I became a, quite a pain in everybody's ass, I'm sure. And some people were like, yeah, Mark, okay, we'll bring it back and you know a drawing. And um, I had done this contest for, I was working at a local Tower Records and I was making these foam core displays and I did this uh, advertisement. It was a contest to advertise for the Injustice for All shows, first ones, uh, to advertise the show. So I made a cereal box. They were called, they were, they were, they were titled like, you know, the crunch metal. So I said, you know, I, everything with me at that point, I very tongue in cheek. So I, I made a joke about it. I was like, oh, they're like the captains of crunch. So I made a captain, captain crunch cereal box, which was an American yeah. cereal brand. Anyway. So I put their faces on that. Uh, I redrew what uh Pusshead had done caricatures of them, but I drew them with these big cartoon uh, pirate hats on and I made this design took a photo of it, brought it to the show. And, and a friend of mine, Fred Cotton, who, who was the singer for uh, uh, Spastic Children, and he's good friends with the guys. And, and I see him from time to time. So I, I, you know, I did my regular routine. I brought the little photo to the show and I saw him, you know, as he was going backstage, handed to him. And I said, hey, could you just show it to him and, and see if they think it's funny? You know, halfway expecting them to, you know, tell him to piss off and it's like okay whatever I just yet again somebody else has done something better than that and he comes back and he's like grabs me by the collar and yanks me inside he goes they want to meet you and I'm like you're kidding me and he's like <laughs> no they love it and I go at first I thought they wanted to pummel me for it because I did you know it's a very it's seeming very serious band and here is this this silly thing they loved it. And like, they all signed the photo and whatever. And, 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 and Lars particularly is like, where is this? I want this. And I said, uh, it's at this, at the, at the record store I work at. Uh, he goes, I'll, I'll be there next week. Cause we're off the tour. This is the end for a little bit. We're having, taking a wee bit of a break before we go to Europe. I think it was. And he lives in the Bay area and he goes, I just bought a house and I'm going to, I'd like to put it in there. And I said, oh, that's great. So he shows up uh, about a week later at my work. You know, here comes Lars Ulrich walking down the center aisle. And all these people are like, oh my God. Um, and he goes up to, up to the office 
And he goes, where is it? And I go, oh, it's standing in the corner. And I, and I said, uh, what did you, did you bring a truck? Because it, it's, it's, it's six and a half feet tall and about four feet wide. And he goes, no, I just brought my Porsche. And I'm <laughs> like, well, that's not going to work. And we're, it's not going to survive strapped to the top. And I doubt you want to yeah. do that, like the Beverly Hillbillies or whatever. But he's like, no, no, no. Uh, 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 shit, I really like this. And I go, I'll, I'll make you a, a small one. I'll make you a, you know, a little one foot one. You can just put it on your mantelpiece or whatever. So I do that. He comes back the following week. And he takes it and I give him a lay a layout of the design. And anyway, this is my introduction to the band. He, t- he takes off and I go, oh, okay, I've done something for Metallica in, in a way. <laughs> a couple months later, they play the Grammys and Jason is wearing a shirt on stage on national TV with the design on his shirt. Oh man. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm blown away. And, and, and sure enough, you know, like a couple days later, you know, I'm jumping all over the place. I can't believe it. I, that he's, he's, he's actually got a, a printed design. My shirt is a Metallica shirt. doesn't say Metallica on it. I don't know where the origin or whatever's going on with this yeah. shirt, but he's wearing the design so they do like it. And, and a couple days later after, I guess they come back from LA after shooting the, the Grammys and Lars shows up in my work with a handful of shirts of the Captain's of Crunch shirt that I had done <laughs> and a, uh, like a, a, and Justice for All tour jacket. And I'm like, okay, badge of honor, that's it. You know, yeah. like, you know the shirt's nice, but this is a leather jacket that's embroidered. And I'm just blown away. And from that point forward, it was just like, I'd get a call. You know, I get a call over the intercom at my work. Lars is on the phone for you. He wants, you know, he wants you to come to uh, the day on the green and, and they're playing the stay on the green and it brings more designs. And, <laughs> and at the time I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm figuring how to draw, I'm figuring out my medium or whatever you want to call it. And all I could find were these like two foot by three foot illustration boards. And they're, they're like stiff illustration boards. So I'm drawing these, th- these designs because I'm getting really good tension on my, with the pen and all that. And I'm having fun with it. So I, it bringing designs to a show is I'm carting around these big you know, boards under my arm. And Day on the Greens are like huge outdoor festivals. So, and I want to see the band and I'm in the pit, you know, navigating these, these large portfolio boards underneath my arm you know you know getting beer spilled on my on my designs and I'm but I'm I'm enjoying the band so I go backstage at the end of all that and Lars is sorting through things that you know this why is this one bent and I'm like well you know that it just happens you know I, I can clean it up I'll redraw it if you like the design so we go through these processes and you know I you know I would go I'd go to Kinko's at at, at work after after work, I'd go down to these Kinkos, these uh, copy places, so I could do my layouts, and I would fax it into the management. And after a while, you know, management were like, "What? Don't you have a computer?" And I'm like, "No, I don't. I don't. I draw straw this stuff." And I'm at Kinkos, and they go, "We know. We, we get these fax machines, these facsimiles with the the Kinkos logo." And it's like. I can't believe you're doing shirt designs from Metallica and you're 
you know, they're, they're, they're coming in very low budget here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, and they, and then they, she sent me a fax machine, like a brand new Panasonic, <laughs> you know, this, it was, right. I was getting these gifts and it was, it was yeah. really nice. Uh, and they were very welcoming anyway. So lo- long story short, you know, they, they, they're just about to come into the black album and they, you know, yet again, they were going to, they were going to launch, they were going to do a big uh, record listening party at madison square garden but a couple days prior they played this small secret show in antioch at this place called the phoenix theater and and uh kirk at the time had seen some foam core stuff that i had done and he traded me for this 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 puss head design that i had done out of out of foam core for tower uh traded me two tickets to see the show in exchange for that. So I brought that along with some designs and, and, and Lars and I picked up right where we had kind of paused for a minute, yeah. just do the end of the, uh, uh, between the albums. And uh, he was asking me for more designs. So I started doing, you know, road crew t- t-shirts and things of that nature. Uh, and he invited me to shows and again with the more designs and and we just started building up this relationship of like he would call and you know I'd fly out to Kansas City because they were just about to go somewhere here or or somewhere there and I'd go to these shows and 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 bring along these designs so I started uh uh getting to know more of the road crew which is again kind of that Metallica motorhead these parallels of, of, of really, uh, you know, almost becoming, starting a relationship with the crew because the crew are the guys that are really not getting the spotlight where they really deserve it. Yeah. And they, they work harder than anybody, just like, you know, Iron Maiden, they had, you know, Iron Maiden had these, the set, these guys on the road crew that they'd get listed and they'd, and, and Metallica took a page out of that book. They would, they would put in, you know, the road crew and, and, you know, but and also, you had people like Andy Batty. But you also, do you get the feeling that like for the, the road crew as well, are kind of like gatekeepers of the band. It only, it only takes one crew, one trusted crew member to turn to the band and go, Oh, you know, that guy. Yeah. He's a dickhead. He did this. Yeah. He did that. And that's, and that's you done, you know, you're yeah. burned. Oh. That's Absolutely. It. And I, 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 you know, I, I, I grew up in a scene where it's like, everything's a privilege, you know, you really, you're, yeah. it's very much a privilege to be able to go backstage or to be able to work for some of these bands. So, you know, I, I held that as a holy, holy kind of just same with like Motorhead and all that is that, it, you know, there's a mutual respect. Uh, and, and I really became somewhat in that circle as the guy that did the crew shirt designs. I mean, these were for the crew. Yeah. Um, it wasn't for retail and no one was going to make money off it. I, I charged accordingly and I was just happy to be invited to show. So I got to know big Mick really well and big Mick would ah, give me these. And right. I, I absolutely adored this man. He, he was yeah. most personable. Uh, Tony Smith, who was their road manager at the time for a while or stage manager, kind of personal manager. Um, 
you just get to know these people and it was like you go to the show the first thing you want to do is say hi to you know andy batty or or, or big mick uh, uh well, the all first these time uh, the first time i heard on justice for all was in a club in birmingham that we were playing and it was a oh, test wow. and it was a test pressing being played through the pa before the doors opened wow so i heard black and i was like what the fuck is it well i'd already heard we'd already heard um uh, Harvester, we don't know. We'd oh. already heard Harvester of Sorrow because that was the single that preceded the album, right? But all of a sudden, we hear this, and as soon as the voice, it's like this is fucking Metallica. What's going on? So we look at the desk, and there's this massive guy stood with the sound guy. So we go and so go over and go yeah. hi, and it's like brummy accent. And I'm because I'm, I'm the singer. I've always been, you know. I just walk up. You're Big Mick, aren't you? And he goes, Yeah, oh, I am. And I was like, Bloody <laughs> hell! And is that is that? And Justice for All, he's like, yeah, it is. I've come down to, it's, I've come down to blast it through the PA, so I know what I've got to recreate. You know, oh, that's great. Like, the building like, blocks. Yeah, I was like, okay, that's really cool. Um, so, why do you have a word with our tour manager? And our tour manager said, look, you know, would you do sound for the band? And um, and he said, yeah, no problem. And he was like, you know, how much do you want? He was like, look, just just keep me in beers for the night. And um, and we did we did a cover of um, we did a cover of Whiplash, which we dedicated to him. And he came oh. in the, he came in the dressing room afterwards, and he said, "I'm going to tell you what I told Metallica: slow down." <laughs> but I'll also tell you, you play Whiplash better than they do. Cheers, lads! And that was oh, it. Oh. Off he went. Yeah, that's, I know. I was like, "Wow, awesome!" So sorry. I, uh, there's people no, who are no, listening that's... to no, there's people who are listening to the podcast, and that is about the tenth time they've heard that story. <laughs> Um, oh wow! Yeah, I know, but I couldn't. I couldn't resist sharing it with you. Oh no, no, that's awesome! Yeah, I mean, Mick and I, 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 you know, I've walked down. I'd, I'd walk down the 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 aisle or whatever, and I, I'd walk past the sound booth, and he noticed. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'd have my Captain's Crunch shirt proudly wearing. You know, and you know, I'm not. I'm going to do a terrible accent, so I won't even. But <laughs> okay. he, he would yell, "Oi, where'd you get that?" And I'd go. And I'd look up and I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. I shouldn't have worn a crew shirt. You know, I'm not in the crew. I'm not, you know, I'm trying yeah. to explain. And he's like, no, get up here. And he's all, he, he leans over and puts a, a laminate around me. They, they made a laminate, oh. the tour <laughs> laminate of the Cabins of Crunch. Brilliant. And he's all, hey, sit right here. There's beers in the thing. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And he's, oh, I mean, sight unseen, never met me in, in my life. You know, and this is my introduction to Big Mick. I'm sitting with a bird's eye view in a comfy chair with a, a beers at the ready Brilliant. and I'm sitting at the best seat in the house. And I'm like, I'm like a prize, you know, a proud Papa or whatever. And, 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 it, and we started a friendship Whereas there was this, um, and, and I might've tortured him a, a little bit at some times because also <laughs> you go backstage and you're, and you're trying to get your bearings. Cause I had designs that I had to show Lars and I would drink a lot and I would I'd get in a little bit of a panic. So I tried to, well, if I find Mick, Mick can let me know, you know, just stay here and, and they'll be here or they'll be in this area later, but calm yourself down. He was always the calming force, which was, I appreciated because I I'd get enthusiastic, not, not uh, disrespectful, but I mean, a pretty enthusiastic. He would tell me, you really have to relax switch from yeah. a different uh mode of entertainment so anyway, uh but i i would bring design 
says the internet and okay cool yeah don't worry sorry i'm, still, I'm rambling I've still on. got you no no, no um, i've still got you okay perfect um so anyway we, we we became good friends and he would you know send me things from time to time and and i would send him things from time to time go up to shows and i'd bring gifts uh you know like stuff that he would think was funny and put it on his console and he he did that and it just became closer with these road guys as well as the band and it it started uh really kind of just ingratiating myself but also at the ready anytime that the enemies and 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 it would come it would and i tried to be as as on point as possible they tell me to jump you know we need this one off really quickly no problem you know stay up late send something through kinkos at the time but then it would be uh, later on in my uh, the, the fax machine yeah, later on on your metallica fax machine on my metallica fax machine which you know i would scrawl you know thank you in the top right hand corner of every page sent but um uh and, and kirk showed up at the end of the i'll, I'll just fast forward because that that pretty much sums up I, I i did a couple more crew shirts and then uh at the end of the black album tour they're playing this huge venue uh tour out in vector july 3rd and 4th of 1993 which is signaling the end of the black album three year long tour yeah. uh, where they would have me change the designs from you know two years to three years and i would have to they'd reprint and things like that it, it was a lot of fun uh, but that kind of was the ending of of this huge long run which was just fantastic and kirk came into the record store that i worked at and a good friend of mine who used to be the original singer for spastic children is a good friend of kirk's and he had come in just before they were about to go over to Europe to play these shows. And he goes, we're playing this big festival. You got you and my, his name's Jumbo as, uh, as our mutual friend, you and Jumbo should fly over and come see us and we'll set you up and everything like that. Uh, just find your way over there. and We'll take care of the rest. And they were playing these huge festivals with like Lenny Kravitz, Neil Young and black crows and faith no more and all this stuff. Um, and he wrote out this list. It was, you know, all of these bands. And then at the bottom, he wrote us. And he was like, <laughs> yeah. And, and he gave us the dates and he said, just, just figure your way over there and we'll get you set up. So Jumbo and I, you know, pooled all our, our, our record collections together and sold them and got plane tickets and flew over there. And it was just amazing. So anyway, I know we're, we're running short on time. Sorry. No, 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 um, no, no, not at all. This is, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, why don't we, why don't we leave it there? Because I don't, because okay. this sounds like, this sounds like it's going to be really interesting. And I don't, I don't want you to feel like, you know, you're, you're up against the clock. Because, no, 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 um, and I also I'm king of the tangents, so I can interrupt and take you off piste and then bring you back. That's fine too, though. Um, that's, a, that's a good chat. You know, that's a good uh, conversation. And he wasn't wrong because you are going to get to hear that conversation in a few days. Um, that will come out between Christmas and New Year. And then part three will be with you not long after that. So um, hope you enjoyed that. Really enjoyed these chats with Mark. And um, yeah, just fascinating times about, um, you know, a, a time when I was active in the scene, more a fan than a band member. But it's funny how our experiences mirror what was going on over in the in the Bay Area as well. I guess, you know, bands starting out, it's all pretty much the same. Um, so anyway, hope you enjoyed that. And I will speak to you again when we get round to part two.
Cheers. <laughs>